This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are in the book of Nehemiah, and um, I told you I was going to have some funny, uh, some funny jokes. I'll give you a Nehemiah joke. Who was the shortest man in the Bible? It was not Zacchaeus. It was Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Boom. You like that, Kelsey? All right, cool. Nehemiah. Um, I've got some others. I'm, I'll spread them out throughout the weeks. The shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. And um, my jokes get cornier, and I tell them more often. So just get ready for that. And I am classic dad joke guy. That's just me. And um, so anyway, Nehemiah, we were in the book last week for chapter one. Uh, I will encourage you, if you were not able to be here last week, please go back and listen or watch last week's sermon. The only reason I say that is simply because it introduces the book. And we're going to reintroduce it a little bit today, but I believe that it would help as we move forward. Um, It would help if you had the first chapter and the first installment uh, there in your heart and in your mind. But last week we began the series entitled For the City. Nehemiah was a man who had a burden for the city of Jerusalem, his hometown. And we spoke a little bit last week of how we want to catch that burden for our city, for our community, through the life and the book of Jeremiah. Um, we mentioned last week that Jeremiah, while he was a long distance away, um, he had a burden for his hometown or the town that he uh, called home. And we want to have the same burden. Um, today's sermon is entitled A Servant with a Passion. A Servant with a Passion. Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, wonderful. If not, please use a Bible app on your phone. Um, I'll trust you using your Bible app on your phone and you're not, you know, man, I wish you would shut up, you know, texting somebody across the room. Cell, cell coverage is pretty bad in here anyway, so good luck with that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, or you can follow along on the screen. We have, uh, we'll have the, word, the verses on the screen for you. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to read the first eight verses. The Bible says this, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste? And its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it Please the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, 
If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that, that they must permit me to pass till I come to Judah. And, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Before we dive in, I love that last phrase. The king granted them to me, but it, wasn't, it was according to the good hand of my God upon me. That's just a sidebar. It's just a sidebar. Last week we learned about the situation surrounding Nehemiah. After being taken in captivity himself, or at least his family was, he was taken to the area just about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf, would be modern-day Turkey, into a city called Shushan. Um, another name that you may see in Scripture for the same city would be Susa. And we spoke about how Shushan was also the same city that the uh, book of Esther revolves around. And in fact, some theologians believe that Esther was possibly still alive um, during this time, or <clears throat> at least during the life of Nehemiah. We know that Shushan was also a part of the story of Daniel, uh, Babylonian captivity. But that city of Susa or Shushan was a solid three-month journey to the now dilapidated, broken down, and overtaken and seized city of Jerusalem. After being in captivity for 70 years, which is what God said to the Babylonians and to the Assyrians, the first remnant is taken back to Jerusalem under a man by the name of Zerubbabel. All right, Zerubbabel took the first remnant of Jews back to Jerusalem, and then he rebuilds the temple. Ezra follows about 80 years later. Ezra takes another group back to Jerusalem, and while that is great, we learned last week the problem was that the wall was broken down. It was burned. The problem is that they had no security. And that day, the city wall kept everything they didn't want in out. And so that wall not being built was leaving them susceptible to another attack, another time of captivity. There's a four-month period of time that takes place between Nehemiah finding out about the problem from his brother Hanani. And then this meeting, this bold meeting we find here in chapter 2, where Nehemiah comes before King Artaxerxes. In fact, the final verse of chapter 1, he speaks, And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. We believe that Nehemiah is praying in chapter 1 for this specific day, that he knew and he had circled in his calendar, this is the day that I'm going to go and I'm going to confront the king with this plan or this problem and my solution. So we're going to dive into this text, these eight or nine verses, Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning, and let's learn some truths from the servant, the cupbearer, the one who was extremely important to the king, would keep him safe, but let's look at this servant with a passion. Heavenly Father, be with us today. God, there's so many practical truths that we can learn from the book of Nehemiah. And God, this, 
this morning, I'm just thankful that we're a part of a church where we highlight the Word of God and we preach the Word of God and where we unashamed will stand up and, and preach whatever comes next in God's Word. And God, I, I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the worship time that we've had together, God, as we continue in our worship and listening to your Word. God, as we continue later in giving, God, just the amazing time we have together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to learn practically today. In fact, this book, the book of Nehemiah, is going to be a very practical book. We're going to learn many things. Leadership lessons next Sunday. We're going to learn some leadership lessons from the life of Nehemiah. Um, if you're a, a supervisor, a boss of any type at work, it would be a wonderful lesson to take with you. If you happen to be a parent in your number one leadership role happens inside of your house you're a leader so we're going to learn some practical things Uh, today we're going to learn some practical things from this meeting that nehemiah had with the king i want us to notice first of all this morning the sovereign delay the sovereign delay we mentioned it in the introduction but it is key and i believe it will help us to understand and to learn there was a four month period from the time Nehemiah found out about Jerusalem. The city's destroyed. There's a remnant that's now gone back, but they are in danger. This is a problem. He finds out about it, and there's a four-month waiting period that Nehemiah prays. He prays. Kathy Keller says it like this. Nehemiah leaps into action by praying for four months. Nehemiah leaps into action by praying for four months. And by the way, that's a true statement. And we need to understand that the number one action that we can do is to fall on our knees in prayer. Uh, when, when, When Nehemiah found out about the city and the destruction of the town, he didn't take off on the next, you know, camel that was headed back. He didn't, he didn't hitch a, you know, Uber. Um, he didn't, he didn't get back there as quickly as possible. No, he, he fell on his knees. And last week we talked in detail about that prayer. Sometimes God will purposefully make you wait. Sometimes God will purposefully make you wait. And we don't like that. It's like the commercial from like five or six years ago, the person out the, out the window, it's my money and I want it now, right? There's late night commercials or, or whatever. It's like, or the, I don't know if it's late night or if it's just like cheap TV uh, like the, that I watch or something, but it's like, hey, if you don't have enough money before payday, come and get your cash advance now. And I promise you it could be like 1.30 in the morning. And you probably could go, like right then. They're probably open. And uh, you could get your cash advance now. Now you got to give them 33% of your check when it hits. But you will get your cash advance now. We live in a society, Adam, where you order your Starbucks when you're in the parking lot. So that when you walk into Starbucks, they walk in and they're like, Josh, here's your ice water. All right? That we live in... We live in a society today where, and this is nothing new, 
People will pay Uber Eats and all these DoorDash and all these places. They will pay five to seven dollars above what the food costs to have someone bring them their food. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching now. This is Bible. All right, here we go. We will even we won't even take the time anymore to walk our lazy tails through the grocery store to get our groceries. Now we order them online so that we don't have to get out of the car and the nice people will come out and they will put them in the car for us. See, I'm preaching now. The problem with that is you can't impulse buy. And I love impulse buying at the grocery store. It's my favorite. But think about it. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. Hey, I have this decent opportunity that you could have right now. Or I have this really, really awesome opportunity you can have in 12 months. And and in our society, it is the instant, the instant, the instant, the instant. Let's do the quick math, guys. I'm going to blow you away by this. You ready for this math? There was a three-month journey that Hannah and I took to make it to Shushan to tell Nehemiah. There was then four months of prayer in between chapter one going into chapter two and then there would be another three-month journey from shushan the palace back to jerusalem so from the time that hannah and i saw the problem understood the need desperately was heading to tell nehemiah ten months Ten months, legitimate, and that is best case scenario. That is everything is in place. There were no delays. Everything happened. Ten months from the time Hannah and I left Jerusalem, it would be before Nehemiah would arise. Between the burden that God gave Nehemiah and the plan that was actually presented and executed, I thought of this. Nehemiah, for those four months of intense prayer, continued doing his job. And I I don't know where that applies in your life this morning. I just took note of it this week and wrote it down. In between the time where Nehemiah heard the burden and Nehemiah presented the burden, there were four months of sipping that cup and eating that food. There were four months of risking your life every day to keep the king alive he continued doing his job maybe there's just a character lesson to be learned there and that's okay if it is some of us need to learn those character lessons and implement them but he continued serving and 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 artaxerxes kitchen and tasting the food and and tasting the drinks and securing the king's safety and he continued doing this doing what he asked He continued doing that for four months with a smile on his face. And we'll get to that in a second. If you want to think of this, this four-month time, this ten-month time, however long the time is, think about it this way. God's delays are good delays. God's delays are good delays. You say, but you don't Stop. God's delays are good 
delays. But at this point in my life, right now, I thought I would be fill in the blank. God's delays are good delays. Well, I thought we would be a little bit further along in our plan. God's delays are, are good delays. I don't know what would have happened had Nehemiah heard of the burden from Hananiah and had gone immediately the next day into the king. I don't know what would have happened. None of us know what would have happened. But at the end of the day, for some reason, God wanted, maybe it was that God wanted to draw Nehemiah closer to him for four months in prayer so that he would be prepared for everything he's going to be facing over the next several months and years. Maybe it was God saying, Nehemiah, you're not quite ready yet. You're not quite mature enough yet. You're not quite there in your relationship with me. And so we need to spend this four months in prayer. I don't know. But at the end of the day, there was a delay. And God's delays are good delays. And if you're in a season of delay, hey, I thought I was going to be here, and I'm here. Just thank God. You don't know why. You have no idea why. I'm that person that pulls up to an accident. And I've done this several times in my life. I've pulled up to the accident before there was any emergency crew there. Other people may have been there, but I pull up very quickly. I mean, it probably just had happened within the last two minutes. I'm just the kind of guy that says... Thank you, Lord, for the red light. Thank you, Lord, that my conscience, who is seated right here on the third row, um, had, me, uh, had me stop at that yellow light instead of pushing through. Hey, thank goodness that my kids had to use the restroom. Right? I'm just that guy. And every time I see that, I say, God, thank you for sparing me from what I could have, what could have been. God's delays are good delays. And I don't know if you're delayed right now in your life. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you are further away than what you thought you'd be. But see it for what it is. God is always good. He always will be good. He can be nothing but good. And all things work together for good. So wherever you're at in your life, it's a good place. It may not feel like it. In all of our human ways to explain it, we don't feel it. But wherever you're at, it's good. It's good. So we see the sovereign delay, the sovereign delay between the burden and the plan. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see this, the bold strategy. The bold strategy. We're going to jump right back into the text. Verse 1, here's the strategy. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine, gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city... The place of my father's tombs lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Then I said to the, then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah goes before the king. Obviously this was risky every if you read anything up on the book of nehemiah everyone says that 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 title cupbearer 
brought with it some, some severely um, important expectations. And one of them was to never show sickness or weakness before the king. If you can imagine, I'm assuming that even on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, that, that Nehemiah went through health checks to make sure he was not carrying some sort of disease that would be passed along to the king. I'm assuming that King Artaxerxes was very confident that physically speaking, Nehemiah was good. He was fairly confident of that. Nehemiah knew going before the king and showing some sort, which I believe, personally, this is Joshology right here, I personally believe that Nehemiah purposely went before the king with a sad countenance. I believe he did that on purpose. I believe that was the way he was going to get the king's attention. Uh, you can believe that or not, no big deal. It doesn't really matter to the story. But I believe that he knew what he was doing. I believe he had, he had planned the end of chapter 1 for this day. Circled on the calendar. This is the day I'm going to go talk to the king. This is the day. He knew that he would risk having his life taken. Should this weakness and vulnerability not be met with grace from the king. But he knows this is his only shot at helping to rebuild his city. He cared about his city that much. Here's a couple of practical points I believe we can take from these few verses. We notice that Nehemiah had never been sad in his presence before. This means that up until that day, what we can take from our text is that Nehemiah's countenance had stayed consistently good. That Nehemiah for the last four months, knowing the burden that God had given him, knowing the intense season of prayer we learned about last Sunday, knowing he had been in an intense season of prayer for the last four months, his countenance stayed consistently positive day in and day out. Can I say it like this? A biblical Christian will display a consistent countenance even in seasons of struggle and hurt a biblical christian will display a consistent countenance even in seasons of struggle and hurt and before you go there no this is not equal fake it till you make it that's not what it means however someone ought not to know how bad of a day you're having 30 feet away from you can we be real Someone should not be like, oh, there should be a consistency in our account. That does not mean we're not vulnerable. There's a time and place for all that. That does not mean that we don't have times where we just break down and we have people around us that we love and love and love us where we can just fully let it all out. We ought to have that. But I'm talking about in our daily dealings. I'm talking about tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're going off to work. I'm talking about having the character that Nehemiah possessed for four months to keep a consistently positive countenance before the king so that when he walked into work with a sad countenance, the king was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I don't want you to do this because I think we would all probably not be happy with the outcome. What if tomorrow, if you work tomorrow, you decided I'm going to go into work specifically with a frown on my face? And I want to see if anybody notices that there's a difference. <laughs> Holy Spirit's working back there. I wonder. That's, that, is, that was the difference. 
I mean, it's right there in Scripture. He walks in with a sad countenance. And the king's like, what's wrong with you? Your health is fine. I got your health report. It's not physical. What's wrong? That's a challenge to me. You know, as a Christian, as a believer, I don't care if you like talking to people or not. That's not what we're talking about. You can be pleasant. Your face, however you do it, if you do it with your eyebrows, with your teeth, uh, with your cheekbones, however you do it, you can be pleasant. When you walk into a room, you either breathe life into that room or you suck the life out of it. And as Christians, we ought to be people who bring life to any scenario that we exist in. This consistent countenance doesn't mean that we don't struggle or have seasons of struggle. This means that through the season of struggle, we, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, will press on and do our tasks and and continue to serve in the role that God has given us in our daily lives. So we notice that he had never been sad. We also notice this, and this I love this. I thought this was really neat. We notice that Nehemiah stayed in a constant prayer conversation with God. At the end of verse 4, we see that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven in the middle of his conversation with the king. Then the king said to me, what do you request? And Nehemiah goes, so I prayed to the God of, hev- God of, God of heaven. heaven. And I said to the king, I, we just learned last week he spent four months of, I mean, intense prayer. Calling and crying out to God. We talked about that prayer last week, how it's a great model for us. But he also had a life and a walk and a conversation of prayer. I talk about this I've talked about this before, and I will again. I believe that, yes, while we should have those seasons of intense prayer, where four months we're praying over something specific, but I also believe that as you walk into work tomorrow, you say, God, as I walk through these doors, I know that on the other side of those doors, there's no telling what's going on. But would you allow me today to respond with grace and to love people like Jesus would have me to love them? And as I interact here with this coworker that I really don't like, if I can be honest with you, God, I don't like him or her, would you help me in my, in my words today, in my actions, help my face to show that I care and that I love? Just a, just a conversation throughout the day. God, I'm in a position right now at work I did not know I was going to be in. There's a lot of stress going on right now, God, and I don't respond well to this. Would you help me to respond more biblically? Hey, what do you want, Nehemiah? What are you asking of me? So I pray before the God of heaven. Hey, what do you want from me, Nehemiah? God, would you please help me right now because I'm about to say it. It's a consistency in his life of not just prayer at his appointed time, which we need more appointed time prayers, but it was a prayer all the time, throughout his day, literally in the middle of a conversation. He pauses. Man, could I not learn something from that? In the middle of a conversation, it's probably the best time every now and then to go, Lord Jesus, you better help me. I'm getting that twitch. Lord, help me. I love that he not only spent intense prayer for months, but he developed a prayer life, a walk, a constant communication 
with God's Holy Spirit. So we saw that he had never been sad. We saw that he had stayed in a constant prayer conversation. And then I love this. We noticed that Nehemiah wanted to be personally involved. He wanted to be personally involved. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah says this. I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Don't take the offense to this. I'm just going to say it. He didn't ask the king, hey king, I have a burden. Now can you get people to go take care of that burden? He didn't say, oh king, I really care about my city. Now would you form a task force, uh, some military units, and some builders that could take care of this? Because king, you can name it and this it'll happen. Would you, king, create something for me so that they can go take care of it? I can stay here and do my job. Everybody's going to love me, but I'm not going to have to actually go do it. No, Nehemiah personally, would you let me do this? Would you just give me permission? That's all I'm asking for. Would you just give me permission to go and do something about my burden? Would you give me permission, king, I want to be personally involved. And I believe that sometimes we're so good at verbalizing a burden for somebody else. Verbalizing a burden for somebody else. God, there is a pressing need in San Francisco, the Bay Area of California. And God, would you just be with Caleb and Autumn as they go? I know there's a pressing financial need in my extended family. And I know they, those people over there, they really need the help. They're, extend, they're not like my close family, but I know about the situation. They need help. God, would you please send somebody into their life that can help them? Oh, yeah. Man. This is my favorite. I'm going to get... This is my favorite. It's, I'm going to bring it down to 2019. You share a fundraiser on Facebook that you haven't given to. That's, that's the equivalent. That's 2019. You know, so-and-so is raising money for the birthday or something. They're like, oh, you should totally get involved in this cause. And it's like zero dollars have been given out of 300. It's like, if it mattered that much to you, then at least click the donate button. We're really good at having burdens for other people to, to fulfill. Hey, some churches are really good at having corporate burdens that like 2% of the church actually fulfills. Well, our church, we just got this awesome ministry in the prisons. Oh, do you? You? Have you ever been? Oh, our church, we gave X amount of dollars to missions. Like, oh, really? We did? Are you part of that? Oh, man, we, I tell you what, we, we, we've seen 10 people baptized. Oh, were any of those people that you had spoken to? about it i'm just being real for a second i've said this before and i'll say this again in a church our size as we are growing and developing and getting and getting larger and we're having more people come but we're still in that stage where if our church is going to be involved in doing something it's got to be a personal burden that we take personally that we do it can't be the larger corporate body is 
Because there's not but so many of us here. It can't be, oh, our church. It's got to be, no, I. And Nehemiah didn't say, hey, king, would you send some people from the palace to go do this? No, he says, king, would you please just give me permission to go? It's my burden. Let me do something about it. And I want to encourage us today as a church family. Anything that God does through this church, it's going to be because every single one of us in here says, God, let me be a part of the solution. Oh, God, there's something new that we need at church. Let me be a part of help. Oh, we have a vol- an area that we need volunteers in. God, would you let me? Allow me to do that. That's, all, that's, that's what Nehemiah said. Just let me. Just give me permission. I'm sure, let's... Never mind. I'm, get off, I'm not getting off on a rabbit trail. I told myself I wouldn't today. I'm sure Nehemiah wasn't a licensed contractor. So it wasn't in his passion number one wheelhouse. But he did it because he saw the need. I'm sure he wasn't like the property brothers or nothing. He wasn't, he wasn't Chip Gaines. The Chip Gaines of Shushan, all right? Flipper flop Shushan. Now, he was not a part of that show, all right? But let's look at thirdly this morning, let's look at the detailed plan. Let's look at how this was all going to happen. Look at verse 6, and the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long were you, by the way, some people think that um, Nehemiah knew the days the queen would be with the king and specifically wanted to make sure she was there. I don't know if that was strategic, like maybe she has a better heart than he does. But hey, she was there and, and she was not always there. She was there. Uh, how long will your journey be, middle of verse 6, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king... Let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. A letter to Asaph, the the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Not only was Nehemiah burdened, Not only had he spent time in intense prayer, not only had he boldly presented the problem to King Artaxerxes and to the queen, but Nehemiah knew what he was talking about. Nehemiah evidently had spent four months not just praying, but four months planning. He had spent four months going, okay, if I take this route, what are some of the obstacles and the roadblocks that I'm going to face between Sushan and Jerusalem? Okay, well, after the river, we've got several cities where there could be some military issues and we could probably get told we have to turn around and go home or worse yet, killed. Okay, King, would you sign this paperwork so that I can give this to them that basically says, let them go through? That's good. Hey, when we get there, how in the world are we going to start the rebuilding process? We're going to need timber. Here, could you write a letter to Asaph, the guy who's in charge of the timber, saying that we can use whatever we need by order of the king? Hey, not only did he have a burden, and not only did he have a, 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 a courageous spirit to go before the king, but he had a detailed plan that he presented quite professionally, in my opinion, before the king. He was prepared. This wasn't just his dream this was his plan 
This was not just a dream. A dream without a plan is a wish. You're just throwing it up there. He had a plan. And he had a detailed plan. And not only King, this is where, when we're going to leave. This is what we need on our way. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how much time it's going to take. He was ready. This was not just church talk. This was not just a pipe dream. This was real life. Nehemiah was locked and loaded and focused and ready to leave the comforts of the Persian, the Persian, uh, uh, what would you call that place where the king, uh, where the king lives? Um, the, 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 the empire to leave the Persian empire, to leave the castle of the king and the queen, to go on the road, to face what's about to happen, to face people that are going to shout you down, to face people that are going to be against you. But he was ready. He has spent four months in intense prayer, not to convince God of the problem, but to prepare himself for this day. The passion that Nehemiah showed. And by the way, true passion is not just verbalizing the burden. True passion is spending four months in prayer and planning to execute your passion. Man, Josh, I think we need to get out there and do more outreach. I do too. What's your plan? Uh, I just have an opinion. Hey, Tim, I think the worship team needs to do less of or more of. Okay, how would you put... Well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know anything about it. I'm just giving my opinion. Listen, true passion, true passion will have prayer behind it. It will have planning behind it. Because until we're willing to move to action, until we're willing to turn love, the word, into charity, the action, until we're willing to take the dream in our head and make it a plan, then we're just sounding brass and a loud cymbal. We sound real good on Sundays, but man, we... We're horrible on Thursdays. Man, we can talk it up in the connect group, but the next day it's no true passion. It will sustain us for four months. We will pray about it for four months. We'll plan it for four months, and we'll walk in and execute the plan. The passion that Nehemiah possessed was incredible. The burden that he had received of the Lord through his brother, Hanani, literally meant the world to him. He was willing to give up everything. His life, if it meant it. He knew his city was in grave danger and the people in the city were there and he wanted, or he felt God had led him and called him to be the answer to their, to their prayers. He also knew that the greater redemptive story was being written. He knew that the city of Jerusalem must be rebuilt. He understood the significance of the temple being rebuilt. He understood that all of this was to usher in well, how we closed last week, the Messiah. He knew that, listen, if I, if I know the scriptures the way that I'm supposed to, remember this book chronologically is the very last book of the Old Testament. 
So he had all the writings that he could possibly have. Minor, major prophets, all the Psalms. He had those writings. If what they're talking about is true, then this city's got to be rebuilt. This city must. There's an overarching redemptive plan here that this is a part of. And there was. For 400 years, we would go silent. From Nehemiah chapter 13 to Matthew chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Whichever one starts with is well, probably Luke. I think Matthew starts with something before that. But until the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2, we would go 400 years. Not really knowing anything. Scripture, very silent during that time. But Nehemiah knew the redemptive plan. And this morning, may I say, God give me a burden for my city, for the city. God give me a burden, but don't just give me a burden. Have my burden drive me to intense prayer. Season of it. You've got to have my burden not just drive me into prayer, but have my burden be so present with me that I begin to get a plan together of how I can do something about my burden. And then not only that, God, give me the courage to stand literally before kings. Before kings. And present burdens, present plans, present what God's done, doing. God, give us a burden as Nehemiah had. There's char- there are character lessons to be learned through this today. We mentioned a couple of them. We talked about our countenance. We, we, we talked about his being willing to wait. We've talked about several things. We talked about his taking it personally and not wanting to pass it off on someone else. We, whatever it may be today. But can I say this? Please don't get caught learning character lessons from a perfect book. If you've never met the perfect Savior of this book. You see, unbelievers can read this, this book right here and read the book of Nehemiah and pull out the same exact character lessons that we talked about. But it would be wrong for us today to learn character lessons from a book and not know the author of this book. To not have a relationship with the overall plan of this book. The person who this book was written 100% about. And that's Jesus. You see, as I mentioned, Nehemiah knew that some 400 years later, Jesus, the Messiah, would be ushered in. He didn't know the time frame, but he knew it would happen. And can I say this? Jesus came the first time to die. He came to take your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross. He will come not all the way to this earth. He'll come again and rapture those of us that have been saved and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he will return and rule and reign on this earth. And can I ask you, are you ready for that? You see, Nehemiah was getting ready for the first appearance. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready?
Are you ready for the day that you either leave this earth, God forbid, or are you ready for the day that, according to Scripture, will happen where the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, but then we which are alive and remain will be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air? You say that sounds like a, a fairy tale or a movie. You can believe that. That's fine. If that's the way we choose to believe that it's true. And if you believe that it's true, my question is, are you ready for that day? There's only one way to get ready. It's not working a little harder. It's not giving a little bit more money. It's not coming to church a little bit more. It's not being nicer to your family, being nicer to your neighbors. There's one way to get ready. And that is, do you belong to Jesus? Do you have a personal real relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. Kids in here today, teenagers in here today, adults in here today, older people, younger people, single, married. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Has there ever been a time where you acknowledged your sin for what it was? Sin. Understanding your need and your, your lack of perfection and your need of a Savior, a perfect Savior. Have you ever come to that point in your life where you said, I need a Savior? And if you have come to that point in your life where you've said that, have you taken the next step of believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived on this earth and died a sinner's death on the cross, being perfect himself? And he died, and he didn't stay buried in the tomb, but he rose again in victory. That's why we worship him. I'm not worshiping a dead Savior this morning. Easter Sunday, every Sunday, resurrection, celebration. He rose again and claimed victory over death and sin and hell. And he offers you eternal life. That doesn't just mean that one day when you die that you will go to heaven. That, that is one thing. It doesn't just mean that if he comes back and raptures his, his church, the believers, that you'll go. I mean, that's part of it. It's that he will give you life now. Life. Abundant life. Life with purpose. Spirit-led. Spirit-filled. Life. If you're here today and you've never experienced that, Maybe you're here today and you have further questions about that. That's why we're here. Listen, you're among friends. You, preaching to you today was a 19-year-old pastor's son who had heard sermons his whole life and who was not a believer as a 19-year-old pastor's kid. I don't care your history in church. I mean, y'all talk about sports and stuff at dinner. My dad used to preach at me at dinner, Okay. So, I've heard it all. Heard it, and if my dad wouldn't preach that me, better believe my mom was. All right, that's the truth. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today's the day. Don't let it wait another day. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't. And at that day, as Nehemiah was preparing for arrival one of Jesus, he was prepared. Are you prepared for arrival two? the rapture. 
as he comes and takes his church away. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Heavenly Father. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.